How many of you would go out of your way for a family member? Would you even go, those of you with your hands up, keep them up for a second. If you had a pickup, would you help them move? That's way out of your way, isn't it? Isn't that what that is? Yes, excellent, thank you. The Bible has a different way of saying things than a lot of other places say them. But one of the things I want to say today is that the Bible, in this case, this fifth Toledot formula where these are the generations of, has a way of saying something that has been often missed until the New Testament. And I want to do this. Some of you um, have heard my rule for um, pronouncing biblical names, which is pretend you know what you're doing and go really fast or just go for it. Who's going to know any better? None, none of the people were here that were here. But I want you to notice something that as we get into this, I'm not going to re- read the 73 names here, by the way. I'm not going to. But there's 70, 70, I'm sorry, there's, I was counting differently than, than they do, but there's 70 names here, and I want to say that the Bible is saying something really specific that has been missed, for, was missed until Paul said, in, in Christ there is no slave, no free, no Greek, no Jew, none of that stuff, that the ethnic changes are set aside. And I want to say right now, the Bible is going to say something, and I need you to hear it, This is one of these spots where numbers mean things in the Bible. And 70, there are 70 names in in chapter 10 that are listed as the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And 70 is meant to represent the world, the whole of the world. 70 is a weird number, I know that. But what does six mean in the Bible? Six is incomplete, correct? And we know that three is the Trinity, and that if 40 shows up somewhere in the Bible, there's going to be a trial of some kind, right? You understand 40 years in the desert, 40 days of rain, 40 days in the desert, 40 days after the crucifixion. There's something going on that requires 40 something. But seven is the complete number And seven times 10 would then be 70, the whole of creation. Now, scientifically, that's, we can, we read that in a different way in our day and age, don't we? We go, well, wait, there's more than 70 people groups in the world. But that's not, the Bible isn't saying there's only 70 people groups. What the Bible is saying is that everybody is family. I want you to hear that really carefully. When it says that there are 70 families and that these populate the world, which it's going to say, what it's saying is, is that everybody you meet on earth is like you, is family. Perhaps if you have a pickup and they're moving, you could help. Right? Because we make a way. I I know that that's um, too far, isn't it? That is so funny. You didn't see this. Anita is smiling at me. (laughs) She's here. So let's do this. Uh, 
this is the account of the families of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah. Many children were born to them after the great flood. Remember, this is the account of the generations, is the break point where the Bible does this throughout, throughout Genesis. It breaks it at the spark. The first Toledot is, these are the generations of heaven. That's in uh, Genesis 2, 3, and 4, right there. And then the, second, the next one is, these are the generations of Cain. That's in 4.16 and 17. Uh, these are the generations of Adam, 4.26 through 51. That's that, that third break point. And then in, um, in chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, the fourth one, these are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah. Japheth, and then it gives a lot of names. And what we know of these names... You just want me to try some of them? Is that what you want? You're all waiting for them? The descendants of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Mesach, and Tiras. The descendants of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Ripheth, and Togarma. The descendants of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Rodanim. The descendants became the seafaring people and spread out to various lands identified by their language and clan and national identity. And in general, what we know about these names, and some of them are iffy, but generally these peoples are known by the Israelites as the people of the far north away from them. Okay? These are the descendants of Ham. Now these are going to be the people to the south and the east, and right, north and east, and then south and east. I think you're having so much fun with me pronouncing these that you want me to keep going. <laughs> I see somebody clapping back here. No, I hear a no just right out. Okay, so the second group is Ham, and they're going to be there. There's, they're going to be people that they interact with, but they're going from outer to inner groups. And remember that I said this, that that the Semitic peoples are the children of Shem, and Semitic people is actually not, you've heard this term, anti-Semitic. You're anti-Semitic, right? And the Israelites really say that, but Semitic peoples are a language grouping, which includes Arabic and some other ones too. So those are Semitic people. Semitics are a language style. And then they do this, and then and so we move into Gerar and Gaza as we get near Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and near Lasha. These are the descendants of Han, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. And then it goes into the sons of Shem. Now, Shem is not the youngest of the sons, but the way the Bible's doing this is it's tracking and identifying a family, and, it, and notice that... When it did the second Toledot, it did Cain, but then it went back and did Adam again because Cain, Abel, and Seth. And so you're tracking through Seth. You're, you do this other group because you're not tracking through them. You're tracking through Seth. So that is a way that it's just describing what's going on. I'm just giving you the information about how we know where and what is and all this stuff. And then to Shem, the older brother of Japheth, and Ham. 
and, and the ancestor and the descendants of Eber. Now, Eber, I am only going to say this for a second, that Eber has actually a stronger breathing mark on it and would probably be pronounced Heber or Hebrew. That's where that name comes from. Okay, are you ready? I'm just giving you the, the little fiction and fact from Sam's Almanac sort of stuff so that you can go, ooh, I heard this weird detail I didn't know, and now I can't remember it. But Pastor Dave remembers it because it's trivial and it didn't mean anything. Anyway, no. So the descendants of Shem, and then these are the fam, these are the lands that are much closer. So one of the names you'll the Elamites, the Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. These are lands that you will hear more about in the Bible as you come up. And it keeps going. It goes like this. And the sons of Eber, first was Peleg, which means division, for during his lifetime the people of the world were divided into language groups. Now, it doesn't mean that Peleg was the only person alive at that time when the Tower of Babel happened, but he's the ancestor of the people group we're following or we're going to be introduced to, that was alive, that it was his time when the Tower of Babel. I'm just giving you some of these little data points so you can kind of follow it. And then it comes down in here, and, and all of these are the territory from Mesha to Shephar in the eastern mountains. These were the descendants of Sham, identified by clan, language, territory, and national identity. These are the clans that descended from Noah's sons, arranged by nation according to the lines of descent. All the nations of the earth descended from these clans after the great flood. Or in other words, your family is the world. Now you might, now you might not think that's any big deal whatsoever, but they're tracking all these names, 70 names, and this would have been most likely oral for a number of years because there's additions in here, like there's explanations about what's going on with this group or something. And you'll see this in the Bible where it say, they came from this town, which is now known as this. That's actually proof that the data is much older than the writing. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you say this, if, if I come to town... And we did this in St. John. This happened when we came, came to town. They said, oh, they live in the house that the Hudsons used to live in. Awesome. Where's that? <laughs> and who were they? <laughs> right? And they used to do that sort of thing. And they say, oh, but, but see, in St. John, what we didn't know going in is that 10 years ago, none of the streets had names. They were all rural route one, rural route two, and they had a committee and named all the streets. And so nobody remembered rural route one, two, or three. They remembered everything by the way people, where people used to live and lived and lived and lived. But then newcomers come to town. And the newcomers, they say, oh, they live in the house the Hudsons used to live in, which you know as... <laughs> It's the blue one three doors down from you, <laughs> right? But they knew it by the Hudsons because the Hudsons had lived there for years and years and years. Now, there's a whole other thing about smaller towns than this one that goes on, but that happens here a little bit too, right? Yeah. How many of you, if I say, you go to the gas station by Heights Grocery 
know what that means. By heights, right? The grocery store in Kettle used to be heights, right? Yep. Not while I was here. <laughs> but, but we learned this stuff, right, that everything used to be... By the way, grocery outlet used to be another store. Friedman's, okay, or Excel. Yeah, Friedman's. So if you say to me, I want to go to the... I need to go to the quilt shop online and you go, oh, the one by Friedman's, you're gonna, Friedman's, you're gonna do some explaining about where Friedman's is, aren't you? You're gonna add the data in. So I'm just explaining kind of how you read the Bible when you see these interjections. What that is, is you need to know, that I'm, I'm gonna say this a little later, that, that there's a move in there to say that none of the Bible existed until post-Babylonian exile. But if it didn't exist behind then, there's only a couple of ways to explain Abraham marrying his half-sister, which is explicitly forbidden in post-exilic Israel. And he's the father of faith that doesn't really do anything wrong. But he married his half-sister, which can't be. Is that some of that is proof of an older tradition that's being carried out. I'm not arguing when it was written. What I'm saying is, is that when you see these corrections or these things, what there are is, is that it's an old document that the people go, well, where is that city now? Oh, that's AI now. That's what's going on. They're your family. In Christ, there is no Greek, no Jew. In other words, one of the things that's always driven me kind of nutty is to saying that's racism or anti-racism because there are no other races. You're humans. Now, there are melatonin differences and ethnic differences and all of those things. I'm not, I'm not discounting anti-racism or racism or any of that stuff. What I'm saying is in Christ, they're your family. And I don't know how else to say this any stronger. Even the Bible sort of does this, right? That, that I hate to say this, that some of the Israelites struggle with, with um, the children of... of um, I just lost the name in my head. See, I'm getting older. So Isaac's older brother is Ishmael. And Ishmael, the Ishmaelites and, and the children of Isaac, right? Ishmaelites are now known as the followers of Islam, mostly, and Israel. And they're at war in some ways. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? They're cousins getting, not getting along with each other. Just as we are when we're not getting along with people that are different than us. But what it is, is the Bible's opinion is, is that they're humans. And let me, let me build this just a little bit more so you can understand what I'm saying is one of the things, and if you've read my book, then you'll know that I feel this way because I put it down on paper in a place, is that Christians often go, God, God is on my side when I do X, Y, and Z. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Christians do that. 
And the truth is, is that God is on the side of goodness and, and doing that thing, but he's not picking sides in king of the hill battles. Let me, I, I don't know how else I can say this very clearly. God is on the side of humanity being saved. And he loves every one of them, and he's hoping none of them will make bad choices like the rich man and go to the place you don't want to go in Bev's story, right? But let's be very clear. The offer is that all humans, regardless of where they were born, have the offer because God is on the side of humanity. He really wants humanity to do one specific thing, and that is to come into a right relationship with him so that they can then occupy the place in creation that was made for them, which is to be the intercessor, the the image of God operating properly within the world. And by the way, some of you might not have noticed this, that maybe you don't completely operate correctly all the time. Let me just put up both my hands here. I know that I don't always completely operate correctly. And just this last week, I was noticing when something was bugging me that should never really have bugged me, that emotionally at that moment, I was sort of threadbare, right? Do you understand what I mean by that? I had worn thin, which means I'm not operating properly, right? I'm outside the manufacturer's accepted parameters for operation, and I'm getting exhausted. And we are all that, and we still do that. Even in Christ, we do it. But man, the, the, the way we go outside the fences of those parameters outside of Christ is way different than when we do inside. And I can give you plenty of examples of that from my own life. I'll just share this, and, and just so you know this, that, that I have made no secret that every so often I struggle with depression. But man, that depression when I was not in Christ way different, way worse. And I, and I don't know how much of this Karen remembers, but when I was starting to paint and I didn't know Christ, I'm sure she saw some of it in any, anyway, but I was like this, this pattern of three weeks of really productive painting and then three weeks of sitting on the couch grumbling. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And it was like this, these highs and lows, and there's three weeks of being happy with the world and three weeks of hating everything about it. Outside manufacturers' operation guidelines. But in Christ, I'm much different than that. Now I still get threadbare and I still, but it's, the depths are never quite so deep. because I'm, I'm, I'm operating closer to the manufacturer's standards. Now, we as a world have had a bit of a problem operating within manufacturer's guidelines because humans in general have struggled with staying inside those parameters. And you might have heard it said, it didn't really matter what rule was in the garden, the humans were going to break it. Could have been 40 rules, it could be one rule, it didn't really matter which one, 
we sooner or later we would have thought, hey, let's gather information on our own apart from God, and then we'll know more about what God's like. That's like saying, I'm going to look at a mimeograph machine and understand a copier. That's not how that works. It's not how that works, right? If you want to know about the copier, you read the manufacturer's guidelines on the copier, not the mimeograph. I want to know how the copier works. And then you get one like ours that staples and collates and all those, and you go, the mimeograph guidebook doesn't tell me how to do this. I'll just try it and push buttons. No. <laughs> That's what you do? Congratulations. <laughs> I hope that works. It's sort of like me working on a car, right? I go out there and look at it and it goes, it's broken. <laughs> now, some of that is because my brother's a mechanic and I've been trained to know nothing by a brother who could do it. But this is the thing. I was planning on talking a little bit today about the Tower of Babel because it is really what happens when we go outside the manufacturer's guidelines. Now let me explain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a primer on next week then. Babel in Babylonian means gate of God. And they're building a ziggurat or a pyramid, which we would normally in the ancient Near East tradition have a room at the top of it for the god with a little bed in case he came down and he had to rest, he could sleep there. Right, ziggurat. And a big stairway so he could come down and enjoy the world. But that's the world's way of understanding how to get to God and to do this thing and to make a name for themselves. When God says... I will make a name for you. And that's quite a different name than the one you'll make for yourself. How do I know that? Because I have an opinion of myself which maybe isn't quite so accurate. And God speaks a different name into me. I might actually think of myself one way, but God speaks another way into me. We prayed that today. Remember from Isaiah 61, that he gives, when I'm in mourning and I wear sackcloth and ashes, he gives a different identity. He, he gives gladness and a, and a crown and all of that for those that don't have it, that they've been seeking their own name, and he replenishes and replaces that with the name that he has for us. But when we seek knowledge separate from God, we essentially pluck the fruit from the forbidden tree and then think, ooh, this is yummy. Let's have more of that. I'm going to stop after this one thing. The call of God to his family, to our family, which the Bible is saying is, look, he remembers all the names of all these far-off clans and all those things that happen, is that, that you can walk in the garden with him. That's the call to humanity. You can walk with God. Now, how do you do that? You come through Jesus. That's the way that happens in our world today that we understand that. But that it can be done, as Bev said, and I didn't, uh, Bev didn't fill, it, fill out this thing, 
But when the rich man said, send Lazarus to my brothers so they won't come here, Jesus or Abraham's actual response is, they've got Moses to tell them that. That's, they've got the Moses in the book to tell them that. They can listen to that. Well, they haven't heard it. If somebody comes back from the dead, they'll, they'll understand it. No. If, even if somebody comes back from the dead, they won't believe it unless faith happens in them. But that's how we get back to our manufacturer's suggested guidelines for how we live. So let's do that. Lord Jesus, today we seek to live in the spot that you made for us, not the spot that we made for ourselves, which often doesn't quite get the job done. But Lord, we seek to live and follow you. Help us do that. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.